I have the ability to advise not just on what you have to do, but to have conversations about what is the best of several approaches when our goal is to make people happy and make them want to work at this company. You are listening to You Are a Lawyer. I'm Kyla Denagno, a 2015 law school graduate. This episode is brought to you by me. (laughs) Seriously, I'm selling merchandise at shopyouarelawyer.com. That's where you can find water bottles, long and short sleeve t-shirts, and everything you need to support the You Are a Lawyer podcast. So support your favorite lawyer's favorite podcaster and visit shopyouarelawyer.com to grab some merchandise. Misty, welcome to the You Are Lawyer podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yes. So I have to get this out of the way. I just have to. Okay. You work with Texas Instruments. I do. And that just blew my mind. I was like, the calculators, the TI-180. I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Yes, yes, yes. So sadly, you don't work in product design. I don't. (laughs) It would probably be a little more interesting than what I do in some ways anyway, but I do not. So, Misty, would you please share with the audience what you do and where you went to law school? Yes, I absolutely will. Uh, What I do is I am an in-house employee benefits attorney, which, as you just said, at Texas Instruments. And I went to law school at Washington and Lee in Lexington, Virginia. Okay. All right. And so what is it that you do as an employee benefits lawyer? Well, what I do, which makes my job a little unique compared to some in-house jobs, and I'll I'll get to why that is, I assist our internal HR and benefit staff with making sure that all the benefit plans that my company sponsors comply with a complex network of mostly federal laws that apply to the plans. So I monitor new laws, new guidance, and just make sure that all the plans are running the way they're supposed to. And there has been a lot of new guidance and an increased level of litigation in benefits in the last few years. And especially during COVID, there was a lot of guidance on things like is your health plan required to cover testing and vaccines and things like that? So there's been a lot to focus on. It's felt a little bit like drinking from a fire hose these past few years. When you were in law school, did you want to be an employee benefits lawyer? Like, was that like like your goal while you were in school? So I stumbled into the fact that this area of law even exists completely inadvertently. During my first year of law school, I could not find a job for the summer. I was in Virginia. I had no connections there. I didn't know anyone who practiced law really before I went to law school other than one attorney I worked for my senior year of college. So I'm in law school. I can't get a job. And I had a friend from college who was a year ahead of me. And she lived in Charlotte, North Carolina, which was about four hours from where I was. And she was trying to convince me to come to Charlotte when I got out of law school. And so as part of that campaign, she invited me to come live at her house that summer. So I moved there, don't have a job, 
get out the newspaper because this was 2000. So that's how people look for jobs back then. And I applied for a job for a plaintiff's attorney who was looking for somebody to run errands, go file court papers. And I gave this guy a pitch. You can hire me. You can pay me what you were going to pay the person who's running errands. But you could also take advantage of the fact that, you know, I'm this super experienced, have had one year of law school, uh, law student, (laughs) and use me for whatever else law clerk type duties. And so he bought that because it was a pretty cheap way to get a law clerk. And it just so happened that this guy's practice, a large part of it was representing people who had had their disability plan claims denied. And when you get disability benefits through your employer, even if they have contracted with an insurance company that's going to pay for those benefits, that plan is subject to a statute called ERISA, which stands for the Employee Retirement Income Security Act. And ERISA is one of the laws that I deal with every day, and it imposes all of these compliance requirements that your plan has to meet. So this is how I found out that benefits law even existed. Now, in my case, I didn't wanna be a litigator because I just don't really have the personality for that. So I researched it during the summer and I found out that another way to be a benefits lawyer was to go work for the employers who offer all the plans. And so I applied to firms that had ERISA practices. And when I would go into an interview and say this was what I wanted to do, I don't think these attorneys had ever met a law student that even knew that it existed, much less that this was what they really wanted to do and had a passion for. And so it made it relatively easy for me to find a job. And I'm lucky that I liked it because I don't know if any of these firms would have ever let me do anything else since that was pretty much the hook to get in. So that's how I became a benefits lawyer. I think that's so cool. I mean, we're laughing about it, but I can imagine, yeah, you probably could pick anywhere you wanted to go. And people are like, oh, you actually want to do this. You're excited for the (laughs) statute. You're excited for studying the procedure. That's cool. Exactly. So it worked out well for me. And it's a great specialty because not everybody does it or can do it. And so once I went to that first job, I've kind of had a pretty open ticket for whatever I wanted to do after that. Yeah. So when I hear employee benefits, I imagine investigations. Are you doing a lot of investigating on like, does their claim meet ERISA and those kind of things? That sounds really interesting, especially if it were the disability cases. Like if I were, you know, hiding behind a bush, looking to see if the person is you know, out running. Um, I don't do a lot of that, but I will say going in-house, I've had really my first opportunity to work on litigation matters. And so I would say that work, uh, not to diminish what I do and that it's not fun and exciting, but the litigation kind of bringing back to how I ended up in this area, I didn't want to be the one who went to court. And so uh, if we were to have a litigation matter, I would be managing the outside counsel that are going to go do that piece. But it is really interesting to get to work directly on the case. And typically at a firm, if I had any involvement in litigation, it was just 
just kind of being the person who would come in and explain the complexities of the law. But now I get to see more what really goes on in those cases. And it does give you a different perspective, even when I'm doing the regular compliance work that I do day to day of just how important it is to get things right on the front end. Okay. And one point that you made there where you said you are managing the lawyers, what is that dynamic like? Because from your initial example, you were a law clerk and you Mm -hmm. were working with a plaintiff's attorney. So I know that's a different kind of power, but what's it like to actually be managing other lawyers? Well, it's interesting. And one reason it's interesting for me is I was actually in private practice for 19 years before I transitioned to being in-house, which is kind of an unusual path to ending up in-house. And so I certainly had very well-developed opinions on how outside counsel should operate. I would like to think that I was a very client service oriented outside counsel. And if anything, that was one of the things that drew me to being in-house was I'm very business minded and enjoy things like allocating the right amount of time to a project versus just trying to extract as many hours out of it as you can. But it is interesting on this side. It's a whole new skill set learning to manage the outside counsel, to communicate, to set deadlines, to let them know if maybe this wasn't exactly what I was looking for. Can we move in this direction? So I'm still learning that as I go. I've actually only been in-house for about a year and a half. So so I'm nodding my head. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. So I, I got to give a little background. Mm-hmm. As the podcast host, right, I have your um, biography. If you submitted it, I have your questionnaire. And I have notes, okay? I have notes. <laughs> but you're talking and I'm like, wait, wait, wait. Like I have all these things going. So are you in a, it's a supervisory role, but it's supervisory of outside counsel. So is this even a smaller niche within employee benefits or is this specific to being in-house? Well, that's an interesting way to look at it. And so one thing that is really unique about my role, and I think I alluded to this earlier, but haven't really gotten in into into it in detail. So unlike a lot of lawyers in my department who are doing a variety of projects, but probably a lot of the teams that they're working on involve other lawyers. It could be someone they're supervising. It could be that if we were engaging in an acquisition, there's multiple teams within the department that have to be involved. I am the employee benefits attorney at my company. And so I really enjoy that primarily I'm working with the benefits people on a day-to-day basis, but it does make me very siloed off from the rest of my department. And so I have to put in a lot of extra effort to make sure that I actually connect with the other lawyers and that they remember that I'm there and what I do and what I am available to assist with. And so there is no other employee benefits lawyer at my company. So I'm definitely not supervising other lawyers, but it is interesting the way you framed that in a way I, I do supervise the outside counsel or direct them in the way that you know I, I need them to help me do my job. Yeah, I think directing is a, a better... Um, explanation for it, right? Because you're like, oh, thank you, but I was looking more for this. <laughs> Could you provide this? So, okay. <laughs> Very good. So, 
So, Misty, you went to law school in Virginia, but you're from Shreveport. I went to law school in Louisiana. I went to Southern in Baton Rouge. So I was awesome. like, oh, my gosh. How did you get to Virginia? Like, what made you decide on Washington University? Washington and Lee? Uh, Washington and Lee. Uh, well, okay. So as I have been thinking about the path to how I ended up where I am, I have to say a lot of it was not very intentional didn't know any lawyers and just kind of picked law as a career because I thought it would put me in a more financially stable position than what I had growing up. I went to Virginia because why not? So to answer your question, growing up in Shreveport, a lot of people, including all my extended family, pretty much most of the people I knew either stayed in Shreveport or they went to Dallas, which Ironically, Dallas, Texas is where I live now, but I had no plan whatsoever to come here when I was high school, Misty. So I went to college in Mississippi and I did go to a very small college. In fact, my college was smaller than my high school. And so one thing, uh, I guess part of the appeal to WNL was at the time it was the smallest ABA accredited law school. So that probably felt comfortable to me. Also, I didn't really wanna come back to Louisiana I wasn't planning to come back to Texas and I didn't really want to stay in Mississippi either. So I just sort of looked at what schools accepted me and offered me a decent financial aid package. And then I was just ready to get out and see the world. <laughs> and so that's kind of how I ended up in Lexington, Virginia. Okay. Yeah. Because I'm looking at a map right in my head. I'm like, Shreveport <laughs> to Virginia. Well, actually Shreveport to Mississippi. <laughs> Virginia and then to Dallas, right? Like Shreveport to Dallas is what, five hours, six? It's about three. And oh, then wow. I I did have a, a stopover. I, I always say I kind of kept going east. So I started my career in Washington, D.C. before I ended up in Texas, which is where I never planned to be in the first yeah. place. So. But Dallas is a really fun city, but it's also a really large city. It is. Oh. Yes, it, it is. I mean, compared to D.C., not so much, but yes, definitely compared to Shreveport. <laughs> so, OK, um, I've been I've been thinking about that. I was like, let's see where that let's get that tie in. OK, so, Misty, I have a couple of specific questions about what you do, and I okay. am going to read my notes. OK, I'm a lawyer, okay. people. I'm, I'm prepared. I'm, you know. So you said day-to-day, -day, the types of things that you do with Texas Instruments are collaborating with partners, administering benefit plans, working on new projects, and new laws and regulations. Mm -hmm. So we discussed the new laws and regulations, but as a team of one, do you have anyone in like the HR team who is coming to you and saying, how does this new ERISA whatever apply to what we have existing? Absolutely. So the way that I get most of my work is that someone on the benefits team would approach me. It could either be a new law that came out, new guidance, maybe they saw a client alert and they have a question about it. Or another context the work can come up in is maybe we're looking at changing one of our benefits or adopting a new benefit. So they would come to me, say, Misty, here's what we want to accomplish and what are the limitations we should know about? Or can we talk about how we go about getting this done in terms of a documentation standpoint, that sort of thing. 
On my end also, it is a big part of my job to monitor the new laws and to go to them and say, this new requirement just came out. How are we handling that right now? And, and, and work with them to figure out practical solutions for how to implement all of those new requirements. Okay, yeah. And I love the example you gave earlier about everything that happened with the pandemic and how that would apply to businesses. Absolutely. As a person, you think about how it applies to you, right? Maybe you know someone who got sick or whatever, but how it would apply to a business is a lot larger scale. So, you know, I imagine you're somewhere and you're like, oh, man, (laughs) (laughs) either you are, you know, you get the alert that businesses are going to close when things happen in 2020 or you see things happening and you're like, how is this going to affect us? Right. Your brain is probably always thinking ahead or seeing how that would apply to Texas Instruments. Absolutely. And I was actually still in private practice then, but it was a crazy time. I had my kids were sent home early from spring break by one day, and then they didn't go back to school for seven and a half months. Of course, they were doing virtual school. So it was a crazy time. I'm trying to absorb all of these new laws, dealing with the pandemic that no one even knew what COVID-19 was or how to deal with it from a medical perspective, much less a benefits perspective. And then in the meantime, I'm supervising virtual school. So it was a really interesting time. Oh, I can only imagine. I was pregnant at the time. Wow. Yeah. And my husband's like, do you want another kid? I'm like, I don't know. I was at home for the rest of my pregnancy. I don't know what it would be like (laughs) to keep working and going. You know what I mean? Walking around all day. Right. Absolutely. I actually worked from home when I was pregnant with both of my kids. So although it was different from the pandemic, I guess I don't actually really know what that would be like either. Okay. Well, I won't use that as my deterrent. I'll come up with a a different reason. (laughs) There you go. Um, again, because I, I'm a pretty visual person. So even as we're speaking, I'm looking at levels of things. So employee benefits attorney, right? Mm-hmm. And you have HR manager probably under you or director of human resources. So no one in HR reports to me. Okay. I, I guess I, they would be considered my clients or I call my internal contacts in the company, my clients. I remember when I went to TI, my husband mentioning to me, that's interesting terminology that you use. Aren't they just your coworkers? But I think of them that way. Mm -hmm. In many ways, I think of them the same way as when I was outside counsel for all those years. It is the same people typically not literally the same people, but the same types of people who are calling me to ask the questions internally are the people who were my contacts when I was outside counsel. And so you have the HR department over here and they have their hierarchy. And then I'm in the law department and that's my reporting structure. But once again, I'm not really doing that much organic work with the other people in my department. There are some occasions where it comes up, for example, because I have a lot of knowledge about HIPAA. Sometimes I will get pinged for more general privacy related work. And HIPAA, as some people may not know, is the federal statute that imposes all these privacy rules on what our health plans can do with people's 
health information uh, that we collect. It's why you'll get, when you go to your doctor at the beginning of the year, you'll get a notice of privacy practices telling you what they do with your health information. We have to comply with that law too. Yeah, I um, just an aside, I remember when everything was happening with the pandemic and all these people were like, oh, my dad has it. Oh, I have it. Oh, this. And I'm like, you're just sharing all this medical information just out? But we got so free with talking about things. I don't think people were realizing. I was like, you are discussing your medical status right now. We did. And, you know, that's a common misnomer about HIPAA. And I get questions about this a lot. If an employee walks into my office or one of my benefits people's offices and says, I have such and such condition, that's information they're giving them. That's actually not protected by HIPAA. Now, that's not to say that person's going to run out and tell their closest yeah. 20 friends, but some people don't realize that. From that thought spawns the whole thought about being the investigator and someone's mm -hmm. like, oh, I've never had this. And you go through their social media and you're like, actually, there's a record of you saying you did. <laughs> That is true. You have to be careful what you put on LinkedIn or other social media or what you say on a podcast, I guess. <laughs> well, you, so far you've got lots of things. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Not jumping out of the bushes to catch people. but You have to wear the right outfit for that anyway. You don't want to get caught on the bush. Right. You're not wearing like a trench coat and a wig in Dallas trying to catch people. Not most days. It would be pretty hot. So I want to plug in a quick commercial here for everyone who is watching the podcast. Thank you for watching the You Are Lawyer podcast on YouTube. If you're not watching, thank you for listening to the podcast. Feel free to go over to YouTube, search You Are Lawyer, and then you can watch the video. Get to see myself and Misty chatting about all things employee benefits. Okay. So Misty, I have two questions left. Okay. Two. So Misty, we've been discussing all things employee benefit law. And while that doesn't sound like the most exciting thing, right? You think litigator, you think, you know, ambulance chaser or whatever. Would you recommend that law students look into employee benefits law if they're interested in policies and statutes and things like that? That is a great question. I wouldn't recommend they do it just because I said it's an area where it's easy to get a job or there aren't that many people looking to do it or not that many people doing it in practice. I think you have to have the right kind of interest. And so for me, when I went back to law school my second year, I started taking tax classes because really being an employee benefits lawyer, if I were in a big firm, I would typically sit within the tax group. So I really think of myself as a tax lawyer, even though not all of the statutes that I deal with are tax law, but many of them are. So when I started taking tax classes and any other class that was focused on statutory, regulatory law, securities law would be another good example. That was my jam. Like that's how I think, but it was not my thing sitting in torts class and having a 60 minute discussion about the duck flew into somebody's face and you know, what were the ramifications of that? I like about code-based practice, that there is a rule, and there's often a lot of ambiguity on how you apply that rule. So it's not like it's just, okay, read the statute, and then here's what we do. I don't enjoy doing the same thing over and over again, but it just, that was the type of work that I enjoyed. It was what I enjoyed learning about in law school was the more regulatory and 
particularly for me, compliance-based work. I like being able to advise employers on for when you're offering benefits, there's the minimum that's required by law, but to take a step back, why does the employer offer the benefits? Because you're trying to attract and retain good talent. And one of the things I really like about my area of the law is I have the ability to advise not just on what you have to do, but to have conversations about what is the best of several approaches when our goal is to make people happy and make them want to work at this company. And so for somebody that that is their skill set, I think it's a perfect area. But if somebody thinks they really want to go to court and that sounds fun and exciting, then I would encourage them to look into becoming an ERISA litigator, maybe. (laughs) Okay. So let me know if this is accurate. So you were, you went to law school. As a 1L that summer, you worked with the plaintiff's lawyer and then you Mm -hmm. decided, oh, I want to be on the other side. And then is it true to say in your second and third year, you then started researching, is this a job? Is there a place I can find myself doing employee benefits or this kind of work? Yes, that is true. Really, the research was primarily that after my second year, I had the opportunity to do two clerkships in firms that had that type of practice. So I got to see what it would look like and thankfully confirmed, oh, I do actually like doing this because as I said, I don't know that they would have let me switch to something else. They probably would have. So that was where a lot of the research came in and then also taking the tax classes and confirming this is the type of work I'm actually able to do and could be qualified to do. So yes, there there was more research after that first summer. But to give yourself a little bit more credit, you chose those two clerkships, right? You probably were like, oh, they have this. Let's just let's just see. Right. You weren't applying for clerkships with the FDA or with you know what I mean? Right. That's absolutely right. And I spent my summer, half of it in Washington, D.C., which is where I ultimately ended up, and then half of the summer back in Charlotte. And I love Charlotte, but D.C. was a very exciting place to go for a federal regulatory practice. All right. So I'm really enjoying this because on the podcast, I talk to people who have really cool jobs or really interesting hobbies or lawyers who change careers. (laughs) But for you, you had an interest in something and then you pursued it and it turned out to be something that you really enjoyed. So that is a different perspective. And there are a number of law students who listen. So if something piques your interest, just lean into it a little bit. You might find that you really love it. You might back off of it, but, you know, give it a chance. Absolutely. Okay. So, Misty, my last question is, do you have any advice for new lawyers practicing for five years or less or law students about what they can do with their law degrees? I think my advice, because I am somebody who practiced for almost 20 years in private practice, I was a partner, and then I made this transition. I think something I learned was really important, especially during the pandemic, is just the ability to pivot and to always be open to new opportunities. And as an example, if you are a junior lawyer, maybe you're at a law firm and you're there and you're thinking, this is it. And I don't think this is really what I'm going to want to do for the rest of my career. Just be looking for opportunities to 
broaden your practice, to learn new things, to work with new people, maybe think about what practice areas are adjacent to the one that you're in. And maybe there's a partner in that other practice group that you could start getting projects from. And also, I think it's really important for law students, for junior attorneys, for less junior attorneys like myself, just to also be looking outside of whatever school or organization you're in to make connections. And I don't like to network with an agenda of, oh, this person will be able to do X, Y, and Z for me in the future. But I can say just by keeping in touch with people that I've known in college, law school, every job that I've been at, that that has really been a great way to develop an amazing network of people. And I don't do it with self-interest or thinking that they're going to do anything for me, but it does put you in a great position that if they become aware of an opportunity, maybe they remember you were the person at their firm who did employee benefits work, then that can be the way to find the greatest opportunities, whether they're within the law or otherwise. Okay. I think that's a great point. Well, thank you so much, Misty. This was wonderful. This was really fun. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, I know I've been drilling you with questions, but I was really excited. I was like, okay, we're going to find out all the stuff. You know, if you have a job that offers benefits, because everyone that isn't working a job like that, or you're a freelancer like me or whatever, um, it's very rare that people see the other side and then even the legal side of how to offer benefits. Absolutely. It's a very practical specialty because for one thing, I always know what to do if I have an issue with not being able to get a benefit, how to go about asking for it or trying to fix that. And uh, it's also been a great way to meet people in my department because I know most of the newer people the best because they all come to me to ask for help filling out the benefits enrollment paperwork. (laughs) (laughs) Really cool. Well, thank you, Lucy, and I I appreciate you for spending some time with me. Okay. So talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. Thank you for listening to You Are a Lawyer. If you enjoyed this episode, leave a rating, tell a friend about this podcast, and subscribe to the show so that you never miss a new episode. New episodes are released every other Thursday. Thanks again for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Bye.